It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. You're listening to the Sharks Audio Network. Now, here's your host, Ted Ramey. All right, guys, with the Sharks games against Canadian opponents this week not happening due to the recent restrictions put forth by the league, I decided to uh, rally up the troops. We're joined by Brett Hedekin, Dan Rusinowski, and Randy Hahn to talk about what we've seen up to the Sharks at this point of the year. Gentlemen, uh, good day to you all. Hope you're all doing well. Happy holidays. Hey, thanks to you, Ted. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Ted. Merry Christmas, Ted. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a merry time of the year. I just... I wish we had more hockey for the time being, but it's good because this we were going to have a, a form of this conversation about trying to review the Sharks up to this point of the year, probably closer to the halfway mark or at the Olympic break, um, you know, in scheduling as, as it were. But I, I figure no time better than now to look at what we've seen out of the San Jose Sharks up to this point of the year. And I thought that with what we've seen up to this point, the fact that we've had, you know, the, the COVID, um, you know, interruption for the team earlier in the year and they go three, two and one. We've seen a lot of emphasis on the younger players. And Randy, I, I thought I'd start with you there. And you even, um, you know, lamented the fact that you even uh, called one of our younger players dad's games in the past in your <laughs> career with uh, with Olfi Dolan and now you get to watch Jonathan. What, what do you think of his game so far and his hot start and now kind of rebounding from an injury that sidelined him for a few games and now starting to look like himself again, at least in terms of the aggression we previously saw? Yeah, well, I, I've been I've been uh, pleasantly surprised uh, with Jonathan Dolan being able to to step right into the NHL setting and be successful right away. Uh, granted, he you know has pretty much for the most part been on a top line and playing with the top center, whether it's Logan Couture or occasionally Tomas Hurdle would certainly make it easy for, for any player trying to integrate. But there's a difference between uh, being comfortable and making a contribution. And you're right, he was hot in the early going and, and I think predictably cooled off. And, you know, we all understand the rigors of the NHL versus anywhere else in the world you played. It's the best league in the world. And yes, the travel is intense and throw in a, a global pandemic to maneuver around and uh, it, it's a challenge. But I, I think maybe he's gone through that spot and Hetty can probably speak to this with much more clarity because he probably went through this as a young player in the NHL. But uh, he may have gotten through that, uh, get adjusted to the, the NHL way of life now and, and is coming back out of it. And, and be a player that we can regularly count on to provide scoring uh, on the wing. Because, you know, this is, for me, one of the issues for the Sharks, and it's not a, a bulletin, that the Sharks have had trouble scoring on the wings. And the only two players who have regularly done it are Timo Meyer and Jonathan Dolan. Uh, those two have 20 combined goals. All the other wingers that the Sharks currently have on the roster, seven of them, have a combined 10 goals. So uh, we really need those two players in particular to keep doing well while we hope that that other group starts to get more opportunities and put the puck in the net. 
And Hedy, if you wanted to jump in off that point that Randy was making, watching the younger guys and the less experienced players like a Donald, uh, Dolan, like a Middleton, um, or whoever else you're, you're watching out there, as we've seen uh, quite a few young younger Sharks come up and have their opportunities. Well, yeah, I think, you know, to Randy's point, um, you know, I do remember those days of, you know, getting into the rigors of the National Hockey League schedule and and feeling just the effects of the travel and, and just the pounding, the grind uh, of it all. Um, I apologize for the dog in the background, guys, but I would say that, you know, overall, um, I think Jonathan Dolan getting off to the solid start that he did and then having the setback or at least, you know, kind of hitting the wall and then getting injured along with that, um, he is kind of coming out of that again. And I think, you know, the only way you can get a young guy like Dolan to, you know, adapt is just to continue to believe in him, continue to throw him out there with those top six forwards, as Randy mentioned, and to see if he can, you know, continue to swim. I think he's done a nice job of rebounding after the injury. You're seeing a little more aggression, as you mentioned, Ted. Uh, so I like his game, but, you know, Randy's right. We need more from others. You know, Jasper Weatherby is learning to adapt to the National Hockey League. You mentioned Jake Middleton on the backside um, has been a real pleasant surprise. I think a guy that you wouldn't have thought of prior to the year starting that he'd be right there with Eric Carlson uh, playing all those minutes with him. So I think he's adapted beautifully this year. You know, Dan, we've also seen, you know, a, a number of younger players come up, whether it's been, you know, Ryan Merkley or whether it's been like we alluded to Jasper Weatherby and a number of players come up and, and get their opportunities. And it was really a point of almost contention going into this year was we were going to see the Sharks organizational depth and it might be too much of a microscopic or myopic viewpoint to say, oh, well, they went three, two and one during a stretch where they were without seven of their regulars. But I feel like th there it might be more to the foundation of the organization in terms of its depth than maybe what was previously perceived. Well, there's a lot of things that you can you can take into that, Ted. And I think that uh, one of the things you can take is that the Sharks uh, made the most use of that time with eight guys out with the COVID protocol and the team being asked to still play to actually show to the organizational members themselves, to the key guys. You know, if you're Brent Burns, if you're Eric Carlson, if you're Logan Couture, you really don't know exactly how these guys are going to respond when they're recalled. And I think in the past we've seen, uh, you know, them underachieve in terms of that. So the fact that they were able to get a winning record during that time, I think did wonders for the confidence of the organization and the belief that they could compete and stay in the mix. And we know that they need to stay in the mix. The thing that they need is Randy and Hetty both said is they just need a little bit more consistency from guys like Balsers and Kevin LeBanc, both of whom are out with injuries right mm -hmm. now. But when they come back, uh, they and Alexander Barabanov are going to have to start putting the puck in the net a little bit more regularly to take the pressure off of people uh, like uh, like Timo Meyer and Tomas Hurdle. So I, I think that's part of it. The other thing that we're seeing is that uh, Jonathan Dolan, his path to get here is a really good example for William Eklund going back to Sweden. Uh, Jonathan Dolan did that, and he will be the first to tell you that he feels much more ready to play in the NHL, and he's showing that. I really like his quick stick, and I like the fact that he's a very intelligent player, and I think those are things that, that are going to really play out in the long run to, to help him become a, a great contributor. And, hey, let's face it, he's right there with Lucas Raymond and several other rookies among the better scorers in the NHL. So uh, that's good to see. 
Brett, what do you think of Middleton? Because he is a guy who had to work his way through the minors, gets this opportunity this year with Kanijov going down to injury, gets paired with Eric Carlson, one of the more dynamic potential playmakers out there in the NHL. And, you know, it seems to me that he's been playing his game well, but he's also very much in the same mold of a, of a Mario Ferraro, kind of one of those glue guys. Guys seem to really respond to his personality. Yeah, I think with, with Jake Middleton, you know, playing some AHL games and trying to learn how to become a pro, I think what I've heard from him in his interviews this year is just a real calmness to him and a kind of like somebody that's really comfortable in his own skin now. And I think you get like that when you're, you know, in your mid-20s. I mean, he's only 23, 24 years old. And I think when you look at Jake, um, he's been real consistent, right? I mean, you're not seeing uh, the highs and lows in his game this year, maybe where you saw that when he was recalled last year um, at times, or even the year before, I mean, and, and, you know, I think he's come up and given that real stable game. And I think when you have that stable game and you can be relied upon, I think the one thing you think about in that locker room, when you're looking around, when guys are getting ready to put their skates on and you're, you're ready to go out for a game and you look over at Jake Middleton, you know, he's ready and you know, Mm -hmm. he's going to be there for you. And I think that's where that, you know, glue guy, you know, with Ferraro as well, you know, comes from, I think those are the two types of guys that you want back there that, you know, are going to be dependable and they're going to show up every night. Dan or Randy, I'll let either of you jump on this. Do you find it odd that this conversation of the younger guys does not center, does not focus on an Aiden Hill who, you know, if you look at his relative experience, you know, he's 60 some odd games in at this point of his NHL career. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll grab this one. I, I think you make a good point because we assume because the Sharks went out and got Aiden Hill and then gave him a contract extension, you know, plug and play, good to go. You're going to be a top goalie in the NHL. And uh, it just doesn't work that way, especially with a player in Aiden's case, 25 years of age and, uh, you know, well under 100 NHL games played, which I think is a good barometer uh, to identify players and and their value going forward as as full time NHLers and I, I don't think that chapter has necessarily been written about Aiden Hill yet but I think we've seen enough good from him this year to know that the potential is there and and I've got to point out the decision to get James Reimer to pair with Aiden Hill to perhaps end up being the number one as as Reimer has now kind of gravitated toward, he's getting more of the starts and, and, he's, and he's been very successful, but he's also been a great tutor for Aiden Hill and a great player for Aiden to continue to develop and watch and learn from. And, you know, I think you couple that with the fact that the Sharks are, are just playing better defensively in front of the goaltending. Uh, our colleague, Sheng Peng, who contributes on NBC Sports California uh, to the website and to our broadcast, you know, recently wrote an article about the Sharks' defensive improvements. And last year, they were 3.50 team goals against average. That was dead last out of 31 teams. This year, a third of the way, or a little bit past a third of the way, the, the team goals against is 2.80. Uh, And that puts the Sharks at 13th, 14th around some pretty good hockey teams. So the combination of Aiden Hill and James Reimer, along with a better 
uh, defensive system slash execution of that system in front of those goaltenders has put the Sharks in a very nice spot now defensively. And again, I don't mean to beat the drum, but if they can find a way to squeeze more goals out, and let's be blunt here, with, with the whole Vander Kane situation, the Sharks lost potentially a 30 or even more goal scorer in that position on the wing. And that's awfully tough to make up uh, from, even if Timo Myers back up to the way he was, uh, the rest of the lineup, uh, especially of the more veteran guys, just hasn't been able to make up that gap offensively that with those 30 goals you lost. But if you do the defensive work and get the goaltending, boy, it sure makes it a lot easier. And if you can just, you know, get that extra goal every other night, uh, every other game, that might be enough uh, enough to put you over the top in a in a two or three goal win. And yeah. the fact, fact too, that uh, that because Reimer's playing so well, that's a little pressure off of Aiden Hill. And I, I think Reimer and, and Middleton are two of the best examples in the entire Sharks organization for the attitude you have to take. You talk to Jake Middleton, and he talks about how it's a day-to-day thing with him. And he's, uh, you know, certainly not upset about the fact that maybe he could go back to the San Jose Barracuda and have to play, but he's doing his best. And, and you know, it's on a day-to-day basis with him. Reimer's kind of the same thing. He just takes it day by day. He's a guy that in his mid thirties has totally changed the way that he's played the goaltending position, changed his stance over the course of the summer at the suggestion of, of Adam Francilia up in Kelowna. And I think that that's something that, that he worked on over the summer and that he has uh, changed his body uh, training, but he's also changed the way that he's played the position. And that's a nice message to Aiden Hill to say that you can make adjustments as a pro. And as you continue to grow, and, and again, as Randy said, because he's uh, sort of the number one goaltender right now and taking that the helm of that, it takes the pressure off of Aiden Hill and allows him to work on his game. And when he does get the opportunity, he gets the encouragement from James Reimer as the young defensemen get from Jake Middleton. I, I just think those are two great parts of the organization right now. Brett, when you look at the improvements with the the defense and the the goal goalies in particular, I mean, we do see the offense is the is the glaring loss overall. I always wonder if there's so much of an emphasis being put on defense first, keep the puck away from the front of the net. You know, they're trying to establish their identity that there's so much conscious thought being put to that that until it just becomes what they do subconsciously, the offense is going to suffer. They're still working game after game after game to consciously be the team that Bob Bugner wants them to be. Well, I, I think, you know, when you look at the defensive you know, the way they played. And I think Randy spoke beautifully about it as far as their goals against and, you know, them doing a much better job, the goaltending, uh, giving them more stability. Um, overall, though, you know, they've had opportunities to score goals on a nightly basis. I think when you get guys like Noah Gregor and, and you know, Lane Peterson and Jasper Weatherby, uh, even Matt Nieto, you can throw in there. And then you go up in the top six and, um, you know, Barabanov and, and, you know, Dolan. When you think about the overall consistency consistency in the game that they want to play offensively, they just they kind of slip away from it from time to time, even through period to period where you know they won't they'll they'll turn the puck over a little bit more in the neutral zone. They won't execute on the chips in the offensive zone. They don't set up the forecheck. So it's you know taking care of the defensive zone. The goaltending has been better, but then it's it's the whole game. It's it's three zones. It's two hundred feet. You know, and finding a ways where these young guys who are getting experience can realize how important, you know, sticking to the game plan is and finding the results that come from sticking with it. You know, a lot of times you want those, that instant gratification, the instant wins, you think they're going to come easy. They're just not, this league is too tough. So I think, you know, for me, Ted, it's about, 
these young guys learning to be a pro night in and night out, and they're getting the experience by just being thrown in the fire and, and they're getting it. And it's just going to take some more time. Dan, how did Timo Meyer suddenly learn how to be a pro then? Because there was talk in the preseason about the harsh conversation that he had with the team. Maybe not, maybe harsh is too harsh of a term, but it was very blatantly put to him that he needed to be the player he was capable of being. Is this just a matter of, you know, telling Timo like, hey, we need you to play to your maximum? Or do you think this was him coming in more prepared and more overall capable of being the Timo Meyer we knew he was capable of being? Well, what happens to a kid between the time he's a freshman in college and he's a senior? You know, he grows a lot. And uh, those are the experiences that you have to go through to grow. Some of that involves some setbacks, especially for guys that are used to being at the absolute top without really working all that hard. And I'm not saying Timo didn't work hard. What I'm saying is that uh, he was far and away the best player on his team most of the time that he's ever played in his life. So he gets to the NHL and, and he finds out that uh, you can't get away with that anymore. It's not going to be as easy as it was. And you have to adjust to it. And you have some success. You know, you could score 25, 30 goals, but then all of a sudden the rest of the league knows about you and they play you a little bit differently. So you have to adjust to that. I think a big, big setup for this was were some of the talks that he had with with the team over the course of the offseason, maybe the end of the season meeting with with the coach and general manager, but also uh, the fact that he played in every single preseason game. And he was the only one of the top players on the Sharks that did that and was asked to do that. I think that was a bit of a message to him that they expected him to work every night, but to make sure that he was consistent through his game. And I think that he approached the training camp with that dedication. And that's one of the reasons why he's off to a much better start. You know, and it's a long season, so we'll see how it all plays out. I think that Timo is becoming a power forward that everybody envisioned, envisioned him to be. And that that's nothing but good news for the organization. Randy, were you expecting this much of a turnaround from Timo? I was hopeful. Uh, you know, I, I think when we got that glimpse of a, a potentially 30-goal-a-year player a number of seasons ago, uh, and he was playing to his drafted position very high in the first round, I think it was a, a sigh of relief. Uh, boy, they, we, we've got a good one here. And, uh, you know, there's probably a variety of reasons that Timo's uh, game, or at least his offensive totals, uh, went down over the past couple of years. It, it wasn't a, a, a good period for the organization over all the last two seasons, uh, and maybe into three, uh, going through the coaching transition from Pete DeBoer and everything else. But uh, it, it's great to see Timo uh, in this mindset. Uh, it's great to see him having the success. With that comes frustration. And, you know, we were commenting on a recent broadcast. You know, sometimes he has to watch his body language, just as Bob Bugner uh, pointed out to Tomas Hurdle that, you know, you just can't let the frustration come out visibly on the bench and, and to the rest of the guys. You, you've got to internalize that and use that to, to drive you forward. And that's something that, you know, these are, we forget these guys are in their 20s and, and we're asking them to be very, very mature, very mature in all settings. And this is what, you know, growing into being a pro is all about. These are the things you learn and they become habit. But uh, I, it's just great to see uh, Timo doing what he's doing. Uh, he's it's always a better time when Timo Meyer is a is an energetic, you know, 
like shot out of a cannon type power forward using that size, finishing people along the boards and then forcing his way to the net. Uh, he's a, a tremendously exciting player to watch. And uh, if he can keep it going this year, then, you know, the Sharks are going to have, uh, you know, a player that definitely, not that he wasn't already, but, you know, locked in as a person uh, for the core of this franchise going forward and, and somebody that you can continue to build around. Brett, what about Eric Carlson in the midst of what I would consider a bounce back most definitely compared to a season ago? In addition to his offense being more in line what we expect from Eric Carlson, it seems like he's more committed on defense. What are you seeing? Yeah, I, I see a guy that, you know, isn't trying to get back the, you know, a tough season in one shift or one play or one period. And I think he was putting a lot of pressure on himself. I think when you sign a contract that he signed and you know, even for me that, you know, when I signed a contract, they, you know, paid me more, you feel a little bit of pressure that you put on yourself. And for whatever reason, you know, you, you just can't, you've got to be able to go out there and just play your own game and know that they signed you to a contract uh, because of the player that you've always been that you not because you, they need to pay you more to, to change the way you've always played. No, that's not the case. I think what we're seeing from Eric Carlson is he's just playing the way Eric Carlson can play. He's an elite player. He thinks the game at the highest level. I mean, when he picks off passes in the offensive zone where he steps in front of you, just go, how did that guy not see Eric Carlson? Well, Eric Carlson was already anticipating where that puck was going to go, and he puts himself right in the passing lane to pick off the puck. I mean, he, he does that all the time. And, and, and the reason why is because he's just got an elite mind for the game. So we're seeing that more often now. He's not trying to chase the game and trying to chase it down a mistake or trying to do too much. Uh, we're just seeing a guy that uh, is an elite player. And, and Hetty, if I can just jump in, because this is a stat that, you know, we've we've rolled out a few times, but uh, it, it's part of Eric Carlson's game that maybe goes unnoticed a little bit. And that's on the penalty kill. And the Sharks all year have had one of the best penalty kills in the NHL. Uh, Carlson now through 24 games played has still not been on the ice for a power play goal against. And uh, that's that's a very important thing that, that can't be overlooked, his, his play without the puck in those situations. Well, that's a great jumping off point from what we've seen this year, the improvement on the penalty kill, the improvements just overall in the team from Bob Bugner, who's, you know, if, if the Sharks keep it up, I think he might be, you know, in the conversation of award season. Uh, Dan, you know, if you just want to jump in on what you've seen from Bob and the coaching staff, because the team, whether it be their response to adversity, the adjustments they're making in between periods. It's night and day from one year ago or a season ago. Cause that this, this last year was this year. It's very confusing. Yeah. A season ago, a year ago, however you look at it, it really is a market difference in how everybody feels. And I really credit Bob Bugner a great deal for that. Uh, first of all, he's, he's a very approachable guy. He's someone who communicates exceedingly well, but there's something else that he does too. He has total trust in his assistant coaches. Um, he doesn't pretend to be a goaltending expert. He defers to Yevgeny Nabokov and talks with him very closely. And um, when it comes to his respect for John Madden and for John McClain and Mike Ricci, for that matter, I, I think that that was shown during the time when he was out with, with the COVID protocol, uh, the way that things were handled at that time. I thought that was really brilliantly done and the way that they discussed every everything every day that he was part of everything, but he, he totally had trust for what these guys were doing and what a great job they did. So um, I, I think that that whole atmosphere lends to uh, the guys really enjoying and buying into the system that he's had. I think that the, 
uh, the changes that he's made ever so slightly to the way that the team plays is very much in line with the type of roster that he has. And so the players see that he believes in them, which is very important. Um, the coaching staff certainly knows that he believes in what they're doing. And I think that that provides for an outstanding atmosphere of competition and for the Sharks staying in the mix. Randy, as I was saying, I watched the difference from a year ago versus this year. Last year, the Sharks go up a goal or two in the first period and they would collapse. This year, we're not seeing that. And we are seeing even if they're down a goal or two that they can respond and get back into a game. I mean, Randy, we can make the easy low-hanging fruit comparison of the first two years of the Sharks versus year three. And while that might be a bit much, you've seen these type of changes from one year to the next. Well, you, you do see it in the NHL, and sometimes that change is drastic. And I think right now the Sharks are probably three wins ahead of their pace of last year, which, was, of course, was a, a shortened season. But if you, if you count on that improvement through the rest of this year, you could be looking at an at a 8 to 10 win improvement over last year. Uh, and that's taking a, a, a macro look at it. But, you know, you're talking about a micro look through the first – third of this season and I just see a team that is more of a team uh they're they're playing for one another they're making sacrifices for one another they're they're making adjustments whether it's what Bob Bugner wants some a player like Eric Carlson to do or if it's the better goaltending they're getting but I, I just see a group that's more united uh and and maybe that was uh, addition by subtraction uh, referring to the Kane situation and and his move to uh you know wherever he's going to end up but the the dressing room and and we weren't in it last year so mm -hmm. it, it's not really fair to make a direct comparison but but you you see it seeping out uh you know even last year and uh, now what you see seeping out this year and what we witness when we do get to interact with the players is a much different vibe uh, there, there's more celebration on the ice when things go well. And I, I agree. And we saw it, uh, throughout the year and maybe typified in that game on October 30th, when the sharks got hit on that one day with all the players going on to COVID and they, they, they beat the fairly fully rostered Winnipeg jets in overtime. I mean, that was kind of sending a message to all of us. If we hadn't noticed it already, this is a different group. This is a group that's not going to quit. They're not going to give up. They're not going to fold at the first little sign of adversity. And that's not going to guarantee wins every night. And you're not going to come from behind every third period and, and come up with a big victory like the Sharks have done a few times this year. That's just not the way the NHL works. But it's a good trend. It's a good uh, way you want to go forward with your hockey team. And then when you bring in these players, which we've already referenced, and I, I can't help but think back to that game because we saw players like, uh, Nicholas Malosh, who we've seen now, and and Nick Merkley, and uh, Jacob Magna, and Ryan Merkley, uh, and you know to some extent Santeri Hataka and others that have been able to come in. They they contributed to success in a point of adversity. Uh, and and I know some fans have been complaining. Well, how come the Sharks didn't get shut down when other teams now are getting shut down? They had to play through it. And you know what? I'm I'm kind of glad the Sharks didn't get shut down because we saw these players come up. We saw them reveal their characteristics on the ice. We saw how they could uh, jump into the system because Roy Sommer has them playing the same way uh, with the Barracuda and they can just slide in and, and assume roles and make contributions and, and contribute to victories in the NHL. These are invaluable uh, moments that were experienced by those players. And also 
from the, the standpoint of Bob Bugner and his coaches, they have a different level of trust on those guys now. And then when those guys go back to the Barracuda, they're looked upon by their teammates there that might not have had that chance in a different light. And it just continues to breed competition within the organization and, and hopefully down the line, excellence. Brett, what do you think Bob Bugner and the coaching staff have to learn or have to deal with when they watch their team go out there and beat Carolina, beat Calgary, take on whoever it's going to be, but then also follow it up with a loss to Seattle. It seems like the Sharks are guilty of playing to the level of their competition, which can be a good thing and a bad thing. That's yeah, frustrating. I, I would imagine as a coaching staff, you know, when you know you can play against some of the top teams in the NHL and some of the top teams in divisions. But, you know, again, I think, you know, part of being a real stable NHL hockey player is finding that level of play where you're real consistent night in and night out. And I think, you know, that's where the young players, the guys, even that Randy referenced that are, you know, being reassigned to the, the AHL and maybe sometimes being, being called up the guys that are here, the young players that are learning how to be pros every day, you know, it's finding that B game. That's, you know, when you don't have your A game, you're not going to have your A game, 82 games. It, it's just not going to happen, but finding if you're Aiden Hill away when you're not as sharp as you normally are, you know, learning only playing 60 some games, as you talked about earlier, Ted, to find his game that can still be effective to come up with a big stop when he needs it. You know, when, when the players like Jasper Weatherby is learning how to be a fourth line centerman, you know, when you're not scoring goals, boy, you better be blocking shots and you better be in physical and you better be being seen when you're on the ice. So you're going to get more consistent play and consistent wins against other teams that are in the bottom of the league. When you find those players that can learn how to be a good B player, the nights that they don't have their A game. Dan, who has surprised you up to this point of the year? Well, that's an interesting question. I, I think that if anybody has surprised me at all, um, it's probably, I, I don't know, I'd say probably Jonathan Dolan and that he was able to so easily step in and, and be the player that he's been. Um, the, the, I've been pleasantly surprised by young guys like Ryan Merkley and Santori Hataka. Um, but uh, I, I'd suspect that, and I'm thinking of this in a positive way, but I'd suspect that the, the next guy that I would, would, would jump in with is James Reimer. The fact that he's really risen to the occasion to the level that he has. I think that that's been just so important for the club. Other than that, uh, not too many surprises on that end. There are a couple of, the, you know, that you see disappointments, but but I, I prefer to look at the positives. Yeah, Randy, who's your surprise up to this point? I would have to say, number one, agree with Dan that James Reimer has been uh, the surprise for me. I know he had a he had a good season last year with Carolina, but coming into this situation here where, you know, as a defensive team, the Sharks were in, in, a, in a bad way last year. For him to come in and, uh, you know, buttress this situation with the kind of goaltending we've seen from him on some nights, it's been elite and uh, it's it's been a, a fantastic thing to see. And after that, my next surprise would be Jake Middleton. This was a player who was an up and down from the American Hockey League and spend a bit of time in the NHL and then go back and forth. But, uh, you know, for a player who was drafted last overall in the NHL in his draft year uh, and to now for my from my standpoint, even when Nikolai Kanijov comes back, and these are going to be good problems for the Sharks to have at that point if they're fully healthy. I, I just don't see Jake Middleton being an American Hockey League player anymore. I think he's fully established himself in the NHL this year, and, and I'm not sure I saw that coming. Brett, what about you? Who's your surprise? 
Um, yeah, James Reimer, those guys have noted, I think he's, I've met references in the broadcast a couple of times that he just has made the game, uh, stopping big stops during the course of, you know, chances against that you need the stop. He's made a lot of those stops look easy. And that's something that says a lot about his confidence and maybe what Dan had referenced is just a little bit of a change in his stance. I didn't hear that before. That's something that maybe you had him on the radio, Dan. I love the, the added uh, commentary on that. It's really cool to see. I love what you said, Randy, about Jake Middleton, who was 25 years old, by the way, guys. I think I referenced 24 be earlier. But yeah, mid-20s for Jake. I think he's been a real pleasant surprise for me. Um, playing with Eric Carlson, though that tandem has been fun to watch. Ferraro continues to impress me uh, with the way he's played and just, you know, the rigor of, you know, blocking shots every night. And here he is leading the NHL and block shots. It tells you his commitment to, to his teammates. Um, you know, Jonathan Dolan, I didn't realize he had what, uh, what Dan talked about, just his ability to kind of thread in the top line and, and really be an impact player. I think is, is a player that not knowing much about him coming into the season, he surprised me. So I think those are the guys that stand out to the top of my head now. Final question here in terms of what the Sharks need to do to make good on the potential they've shown up to this point of the year. If there's that one area of improvement, and there's, there's many, but for me, it's get rid of the slow starts, the falling behind early. That's a trend we've seen specifically over the last seven, eight games. Brett, where do you, where do you look? What's the change that needs to happen if they're going to take that ne next step? I just, you know, getting back to what I said earlier, I think there's just a little bit of execution, you know, when you, they're chipping pucks in the offensive zone. The one thing that we talked about in Carolina was if you're going to chip it in there, that goalie cannot play it. Okay, it has to stay in the corner. And I see consistently from the second six, the third and fourth lines, when they chip the puck in, it always gets back behind the goaltender. And you're never going to, you work too hard to get it down 200 feet and then you give it away. So I think, you know, for me, that's where the offense is going to come from with simple execution all around the ice. I need to see that more consistently uh, every night in order for the Sharks offense to get sparked because we've seen that they can keep it out of their own net. Randy referenced how good the goaltending and the goals against average is. Now you've got to score goals to win. You just can't score two goals all season long and expect to win hockey games. You've got to you know, score three and four goals, and they need to start executing uh, the little things to get in, in the puck in the offensive zone better. Randy, for you, the one thing this team has to do to take the next step. Well, uh, this seems like a, a simplistic answer, but I'd like to see a better power play. And, uh, you know, it was really a, a focal point going into the year of how important the power play is in today's NHL. Uh, the, the metrics or the analytics, if you will, bear that out, that if you can score on the power play on a regular basis, even if it's just a one goal in that game, your chances of winning that game are so much greater. And the Sharks power play isn't, isn't horrible. I, you know, at, at this break, I think, probably around 18th in the NHL. And, and that's a big improvement over last year when uh, last year's power play, they had 22 power play goals. And that was the fewest through 56 games in, in the history of the franchise. So they hit a low point last year. Uh, I'd love to see just a, sometimes it's shot volume and maybe I'm just like the same fans up there who are yelling, shoot. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if the Sharks could, could bring that power play up to a little closer to where their excellent penalty kill is, I think that'll go a long way to maybe uh, help make up for some of the lack of five-on-five -five scoring that we see sometimes. And Dan, your one thing for the Sharks to make good on what they've done up to this point of the season. 
Well, I'm 100% on Randy's side when it comes to the power play and everything he said is perfectly stated. I think what I would add to that, though, is to in order for that to occur, you have to take some of the pressure off of some of your top scorers five on five. And that means more consistent scoring from people like, uh, you know, Nieto, Benino and Cogliano on that third line. If they can come up with with one or two five on five goals. Um, again, we talked about Barabanov and Balsers in that regard, too. And 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 I think that that takes some of the pressure off of those guys. So you don't have to overwork them. You can have more, uh, shall we say, evenly distributed ice time. And then you could really load up with some of those big guys on the power play. That might that might actually help uh, in the long run. So for me, definitely power play. But uh, but I'll add to that the, just more consistent scoring. Guys, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. I really appreciate your time here today. And I hope that we see each other out of the tank very soon. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, Ted. Happy holidays, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, everyone, and stay tuned to the Sharks Audio Network.